You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Our scripture this morning is from Isaiah 64, verse 1 to 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient days... No one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on the behalf of those who wait for him. You came to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold on you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. Oh, our holy and glorious temple, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned with fire. And all that we treasured, lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks, Jerry. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you that your word brings light into our darkness, and that your word sheds light on our Messiah, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So would you please shed your light in the reading and now the preaching of your word, that we'd be those who respond to your word with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Great to see all of you, my dear church family. Um, Happy Advent, as Elizabeth already said, and what she noted Uh, that this is not just the first Sunday of Advent, but for Christians who celebrate and use the Christian calendar or liturgical year, this is actually the first day of the new year. So you can turn to your neighbor and say, Happy New Year. (laughs) And uh, we really mean that. Uh, And we do choose here at Third to tell time differently, to keep a little out of step with the world around us, This is a calendar that a couple of our artists made in the church, um, and you can see our year begins in Advent, 
Each part of the year tells a different part of the story of the gospel. So Advent speaks of the anticipation of Christ. Christmas speaks of the incarnation of Christ. Uh, Epiphany speaks of the revelation of God in Christ. Lent speaks of the suffering and crucifixion of Christ. Easter speaks of the resurrection of Christ. Pentecost, the gift of the Spirit. So each part of the Christian year tells a part of the story because what it means to be a Christian is to live in a different story. We're not living in the story primarily of America or of consumerism or of beauty or of power or whatever it might be. The main story that we live in is the story that is grounded in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we order our whole lives around that story. We tell time differently. Now, uh, I think that of all the seasons in the church year, Advent is the one that puts us out of step the most with the culture around us. I don't know if you've noticed yet, but um, Christmas is full on out there. Uh, You know, every shop you go into, Mariah Carey's just singing out her anthem, and the twinkly lights are twinkling, and the eggnog is flowing, and the parties are ramping up, and the candy is cascading, and it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Except in here, uh, because in Advent, in Advent, um, the church chooses to resist that brand of Christmas just for a little bit in order to intensify and anticipate our longing. You'll notice in here, we're not singing any of those Christmas songs and Christmas carols yet. Instead, we're singing these rather melancholic songs like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and How Long, O Lord, Will You Come? We're not decorating with, you know, greenery and red and greens. Instead, we have dead branches and mournful purple. Talk more about that in a moment. Um, The assigned scripture readings for Advent, like you just heard Jerry read, are pretty heavy. You know, scripture readings full of talk about judgment and wrath and anger and death. And there might be some of you are thinking, man, we just got through Ecclesiastes. Can we just like, (laughs) please get on with the depressing stuff? I mean, it's the hap, hap, happiest time of the year. So let's just get on with it. But no, so Advent chooses to say no to that, to no to the rush of Christmas, and instead to take time to take stock of our deep need for God to come. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I love Christmas. I love the brand of, of Christmas. Just like I used to be like an Advent crank, like refusing to let my family listen to Christmas music. I was that guy. I'm not anymore. I've, you know, embraced American Christmas. You know, we got our tree this weekend and we went to the holiday parade yesterday. And, you know, I like all that stuff. And yet we do choose when we're together in worship and maybe in some of our household and personal practices, we choose to take Advent seriously. And the ancient tradition of the church realizes the wisdom of resisting that rush into celebration, resisting the cheap comfort and sentimental good cheer of the consumerist brand of Christmas in order that we might slow down and learn to wait. Waiting, that's the key practice of Advent. We are, as this text says in verse four, those who wait. Now, who here likes to wait? Nobody likes to wait. Uh, Americans especially. But there's one thing Americans can agree on. We hate waiting, right? Uh, we, if something is inefficient, we make it faster. If something is slow, then something is wrong. We make it speed up. You know, most shopping is now done 
online and if a typical American consumer will give up and move on if a page does not load in 2.5 seconds or less. We hate waiting. And yet Advent is a season in which we're reminded that for Christians, waiting is actually central to our identity. We're waiting people. We are those who wait. In Advent, we're being formed as people who wait, and we're being reminded of what it is that we're waiting for. So what is it that we're waiting for, my dear friends? What are we waiting for? Uh, well, Advent, as you already heard Elizabeth say, means coming. It's, it comes from the Latin word adventus, which means arrival or coming. And so in Advent, Christians for 2,000 years have practiced waiting. And what we're doing is we're looking back, remembering that the Messiah came, and we're looking forward anticipating the Messiah to come again. So let's look at just briefly those two things. So first, we're looking back, putting ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites, waiting for the Messiah to come. You know, this text that Jerry just read is the lectionary text for today, which means that there's thousands, probably millions of Christians around the world who are reading this text today and have read this text, the first Sunday of Advent, for hundreds of years. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's a very heavy text. The German commentator Klaus Westermann calls it the most powerful poem of communal lamentation in the Bible. That's what we read today. Um, Isaiah the prophet is speaking in a time of deep sorrow in Israel's history. They've been living in exile in Babylon, and they've been brought back to their land, and yet the land is in ruins. And as you heard in the text, everything's been burned to the ground. It says in verse 10, your sacred cities have become a desert. Jerusalem is a desolation. The temple burned with fire. All that we treasured lies in ruin. Y'all, imagine that. Imagine coming home from a long vacation and you come back to your house and it is burned to the ground. It's in ruins. Everything you hold dear. That's the way the Israelites were feeling. And they felt like God had abandoned them, that God was missing. They say in verse seven, you have, they're talking to God. You have hidden your face from us. We can't see you. We don't know where you are. You've given us over to our sins. You've abandoned us. So there's this deep sense of loss and abandonment in this text. And there's also, if you notice, a sense of longing. So look at verse one. It says, uh, oh, that you, God, would rend the heavens. Imagine that, God ripping open the heavens and come down. Verse two, come down to make your name known again. God's people are looking around them. They're seeing the loss. They're seeing the desolation and they're crying out, God, would you come and rescue us? Would you come and do something? Would you not leave us abandoned? Would you come down and meet us and make us whole again. Now, we are obviously in really different circumstances today. I mean, all of us live in nice homes and have relatively stable lives. And, and actually, we live after the, the first coming of Christ. We know that God has come. And yet, in Advent, we slow down. Before we jump into the celebration of Christmas, we slow down and we imagine ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites. We say, like we sung today, oh, come, oh, come. Emmanuel, ransom, captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Would you come in our frustration and our longing and our deferred hopes and our dashed dreams? Would you come, rescue us, send your Messiah, set us free? Before we can experience the joy of Christmas, we have to experience the depth of that longing for the Messiah. So that's the first thing we're doing in Advent. We're looking back, waiting for the Messiah to come. But we're not only doing that, we're also looking forward, waiting for the Messiah to come again. You know, historically, this is interesting, um, Advent, historically in the church, has focused more on the second coming of Christ 
than on the first. Because we're not just remembering that Christ came in the first advent, we're also anticipating the day when Christ will come again. We're looking forward to that time, um, like we read in the early part of the service, also from Isaiah, that nations, listen to this image, kids, would nations take their swords and guns and beat them into farming tools? Would all hate and war, would we long for that day that all hate and war and violence and murderous rage would be destroyed and that nations would live at peace? That's, it's a longing, a longing for all of creation, for every nation in the world, for all of the brokenness and all the death and all the sorrow and all the ways that our world is shattered to be mended. There's that great longing for God to come again. I don't know if y'all have noticed that Jesus has come, but the world is not what it's supposed to be yet. Have you noticed? Have you noticed, friends? Have you noticed that in the last 36 hours, as Israel and Gaza ramp up the war again, hundreds of people, many of them children, have been killed just in the last 36 hours? Have you noticed that, yes, Jesus has come, but death still ravages, and marriages are still strained, and depression still takes people down, and addiction still rages, and death comes for every one of us. So we still are longing. We're longing not just with each other, but with ancient people of God, future people of God, the living, the dead. We're all longing for God to come again, for Christ to return, to restore all things, to bring shalom, to bring the kingdom, to bring the renewed heavens and earth. We're waiting with all God's people for the final advent of God. So in Advent, we're not just looking back, we're looking forward. We're not just remembering that God came into the world. We're anticipating the day he will come again to eradicate evil and make the world right. So we are Advent people. Do y'all see that? We're always Advent people. We're always living in between the first and coming Advents of Jesus. We're always living between grace given and shalom that is coming. We're always living between the way things are and the way things one day will be. We are Advent people. We are those who wait. So what are we supposed to do while we're waiting? What can we do um, in Advent? Actually, what, practically, what can we do the next few weeks to really make this Advent meaningful? Well, let me offer a few, I'm gonna call them uh, practices of resistance, Okay. <laughs> to make it sound more exciting. <laughs> the first practice of resistance, this Advent, lamentation. Sounds really fun, doesn't it? <laughs> Again, this feels very out of step with everything, but Advent is historically a time for lament. Uh, by lament, I mean getting in touch with the dark places in your life and in the world where we need God to come. This is a really awesome book um, written by uh, a woman named Fleming Rutledge. Um, and this is what she says. She says, the authentically hopeful Christmas spirit does not look away from the darkness, but straight into it. The true and victorious Christmas spirit does not look away from death, but directly at it. Otherwise, the message is cheap and false. Advent begins in the dark. So our Isaiah text reminds us that there are some times in your life, like the Israelites felt, where God feels hidden, silent, you don't see him, you can't hear him, you don't see evidence of his working, and that's a time of darkness, lamenting the state of darkness you're in, longing for God to come and bring light. This is part of what we do in Advent. Part of what we do is we say, there are parts of the world and there are things in my life that I can't fix, that I can't solve, 
that nobody can do anything about except God himself. And so Advent is a time we get in touch with those places, those places of darkness and abandonment in our lives where we just really, really, really need God to show up. And some of y'all immediately know what I'm talking about because you are living in that place, you're in a place of darkness, you know exactly where you need God to show up. And I just wanna encourage you, and Advent is really an invitation to you to instead of distracting yourself and numbing your pain and just pouring yourself into the alcohol and the movies and the parties and all the stuff that we do this season, to actually take time to slow down as hard as it may be, name those places of emptiness and darkness in your life. And just like this text does, speak them to God. Speak them to God. That's what lamentation is. Others of you are feeling great, and you don't want to lament. <laughs> You're like, my life's great. <laughs> well, here's what I would encourage you to do. Look around. It doesn't take long to find the dark, not in this world. And Advent is, is really a, not just an invitation, it's a summons. It's a summons to lament on behalf of all who suffer, all who grieve, all the victims of the world, from the children of Gaza and Israel to the children of Richmond City, to the millions of refugees who roam the earth, to the millions of families in our own country suffering from the opioid epidemic, to the people in our own community who are really suffering. Uh, we cry out with them, how long, right? We don't know why God sometimes hides his face and why so many people have to suffer so much. We don't know why God delays as long as he does. We don't know why. But we name those things and we claim, we hold on to the rumor, the hope, the promise that the king is coming back. Despite all appearances, the king is coming back to set all things right, that there is a God who loves and who cares and who comes. In Advent, we face the dark. Let me tell you, Christmas will be nothing but a saccharine escapism unless you can face honestly the dark. <laughs> so that's the first thing we do, lamentation. Second, practice of resistance. Ready? Repentance. Also really fun. Uh, we don't just grieve the dark out there. We name, darkness isn't just out there. Guess where else the dark is? In here. Look at verse six. This is heavy. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So Advent historically has been a penitential season. Sometimes people call Advent a little Lent, a mini Lent. Uh, it's a time of repentance, a time of confession, a time of self-reflection and renewal. You might wonder why, have you wondered why, purple is the color of Advent and also Lent? Have you wondered? <laughs> so you're like, no, and I don't care. Well, I'm gonna tell you. Um, the reason is because purple represents both royalty and repentance. Well, you say, why would that be? Well, here's why. Kids, can you, what would you do if you got a memo? You don't know what that is. You got a text that, um, that uh, um, the king of England was about to show up tomorrow at your house. What would you do? Well, hopefully you clean your room and you take that big pile of laundry that has been sitting on your floor and you put it in the closet. That's what I do with mine. Anyway, um, you would clean up, right? You'd get your house in order. That's what you do if you know the king is coming. And so that's why we celebrate with purple because purple, it's saying to us, the king is coming, get ready. Repent. The, the one who came as 
a peasant child is coming as the judge, the king of all. So what do you need to do to get ready? Do you see the way you've been living as a rebellious subject? Do you see the way that you've been living for the wrong kingdom? Do you see the way that you've been not living for his agenda, but your own? Do you see these things in your life? The king is coming, get ready. That's why it's a season of repentance and taking stock of your life. It's the beginning of the church year. It's a great time to do some serious self-reflection, to think about what spotlight God might be wanting me to shine on what idolatry or deceit or addictions or whatever it might be is showing up in your life right now. And so I want to encourage you uh, to carve out some space to invite God in and to invite him to show you parts of your life that need changing right now. I know it's hard to find time like that in this really busy season. I'm just doing a little thing, if you want to, on Mondays at noon, Mondays at noon, the next three Mondays, I'm doing a 30-minute online Lexio Divina group. Um, the, the link is in your bulletin on page nine. Basically, it's just where we show up, we hear the scriptures, and we allow the spirit to take the scriptures to penetrate our hearts. So if you're looking for a space to do that, you can join me noon on Mondays, okay? So that's repentance. Finally, another practice of resistance in Advent, patient hope. Tish Harrison Warren, who also wrote an awesome book called Advent, that I highly recommend. She teaches that a key part of Christian discipleship is learning to wait with hope. We're all waiting on something. Maybe you're waiting for a job. Maybe you're waiting for a family. Maybe you're waiting for a prayer to be answered or a question to be resolved. Maybe you are waiting for guidance or direction. Maybe you're waiting for a relationship to be healed or for a diagnosis or for a scan result. Or maybe you're waiting for something you longed for for a long time or you're just waiting for things to get better, we're all waiting. And as Tish says, at times it feels like our lives are in the waiting room of a DMV run by sloths. <laughs> if you remember that in Zootopia. <laughs> and we just want God to get on with it. We want him to move faster. Why doesn't he move quicker? And unfortunately, he doesn't. God has no prime membership. He doesn't, you know, we don't get next day delivery. We don't get these immediate results from the God of all. And instead, we have to wait. Sometimes a long time. And it's so hard, not just because we've been trained in impatience, but because I think, at least for me, it's really hard to believe that God is actually doing anything. That he's actually there, that he's up to anything. But Advent reminds us that God is working. He has come. He's coming. He will come again. And there is a God who loves us and who is for us and who comes for us. And so in Advent, we practice waiting in hope even when we do not see what God is doing. Henry, Henry Nouwen says this, active waiting is waiting that pays attention, is fully present to what is really going on, even when to all outward appearances, nothing is going on. But in Advent, we slow down and we take stock and we get in the silence and we listen to the spirit and we listen to the word of God and we learn to pay attention to the silent work of God because just like for nine months, no one can really see what's going on in the womb of the woman, and just like for many winter months, no one can really see what's going on under the surface of the earth and the roots of the ground. We often cannot see what God is doing in the silence as we wait. This is what Tish writes. Advent is training in hope because this season tells us that when things lie fallow, they do not lie in waste. Things that seem dormant are not dead. Times of waiting are not without meaning, purpose, or design. God is working, sometimes imperceptibly beneath the surface of time, Waiting is part of his redemption. It is part of his gift to us. 
It is part of his grace. So what are you waiting for this Advent? What are you waiting for? Could it be that um, God is, just like it says in that scripture, that God is the potter and you are the clay and he's making you into something that you cannot yet see? Would you slow down enough to invite God to ask, what is it that you want to do in me and to me as I wait? Training and patient hope. So friends, we are those who wait. We are Advent people. Advent is waiting in hope. Our entire lives live between the two great Advents of Jesus Christ. And so we are those who wait. We've talked today about the two comings of Jesus, and yet as we come to this table, there is a third coming of Jesus, and that is that he comes for us here and now. Jesus is present. He is fully present to us by the Spirit, and he gives us his grace again here at the table today. And so I invite you, as you come today, would you come? Would you come with your emptiness? Would you come with your longings? Would you come with your sin? Would you come with your yearning? Would you come with your incompletion? Would you come with your confusion? Would you come with your bewilderment? Jesus has come, Jesus will come, and he comes now to you to fill your emptiness with his life, to fill your sin with his forgiveness, to fill your longing with his hope. That's available to us here at the table. Yes, we wait, but we wait with him, with him. So let's pray that we meet him today in his grace. Let's pray. I just want you to invite you to maybe name one thing in your life that is a place of darkness, a place of longing, a place of question, a place of confusion, a place of emptiness, a place of asking, a place of wondering, a place of longing. Would you name that to God? Thank you, Father, that in Advent you invite us to be honest about our places of darkness, our sin, our weariness, our confusion, our longings, our questions. Thank you that we can bring them to you. And thank you that you are not far off, but you are near to us and you come to us in Jesus at this table. Help us now to receive your grace. In Christ's name, amen.